You are listening to Not By Works with Dr. J.B. Hickson, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as And now with today's message, here is Dr. Hickson. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and every Word of God is flawless. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that means when we study the Bible, it pierces our hearts and changes our lives. God's Word is the only standard for our beliefs and attitudes and behaviors. In other words... When God gave us His Word within the very pages of written Scripture, we have in our hands everything we need for life and godliness. It is literally the blueprint for living, the roadmap to successfully navigate all of the ebb and flow of life. And it's in this book that we find these words in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And that means that faith for those who are lost and need to be saved from the penalty of sin comes by hearing the Word of God and specifically the gospel, the gospel that's contained within the Word of God. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. He paid our penalty on the cross, providing for us forgiveness and eternal life if we will simply receive it by faith from Him. But Romans 10:17 also means that faith for those who have already been saved from the penalty of sin and who desire to grow spiritually mature day by day as they are being delivered from the power of sin, yielding to the Holy Spirit in their life, also comes by hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is indispensable to all of life for both salvation from the penalty of sin and the spiritual growth and sanctification process in the lives of believers. Hello, everyone. My name is JB with Not By Works. Thanks for joining us for the program today. I want to take you back some 2,000 years ago to the week before the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's Passion Week. Jesus sits on the outskirts of Jerusalem with his disciples. He's about to enter Jerusalem on the back of a donkey in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That occurred March 30th, 33 A.D. It was a pivotal time in God's plan of the ages. Jesus is going to formally come into Jerusalem and be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But, of course, any student of Scripture knows that instead of a grand coronation, there was a gruesome crucifixion. Instead of confessing, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, the Jews, in a matter of days, would look at Jesus and say, Who is this? And those cries of, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would quickly turn to shouts of, Crucify him crucify him. I want you to ask yourself, what would it have been like for you to be there on the side of the roadway that day? How would you have perceived that event? Now, keep in mind, of course, that none of this caught 
God by surprise. This was all part of God's divine plan of the ages that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, would come to earth in two phases. He would come once as the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he would come a second time to inaugurate the long-awaited messianic kingdom, a global kingdom where he rules and reigns with a rod of iron in perfect peace, justice, and righteousness. So we're not suggesting in any way that this was a plan B or a, a surprise to God. But nevertheless, looking at it chronologically, if you had been there that day, on the morning of the triumphal entry, how would you have perceived what was happening? And how would you have perceived what was going to happen in the days to follow? And the reason I got to thinking about this uh, passage of Scripture, and by the way, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, and Psalm 118. Those are two parallel passages that come into play when we think about this particular uh, event. The reason I got to thinking about this is uh, we, we are all very familiar with the famous verse in Psalm 118, verse 24, that says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we've all heard various iterations of this psalm in uh, modern songs. We've seen them on posters. We've talked about them. We may have even said them ourselves. And I heard a song recently that paraphrased this verse this way. It said, Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I got to thinking about that phrase, and I thought, you know, if the person singing that song really knew what Psalm 118 verse 24 meant, I don't think they would be singing today is the day the Lord has made. Because as I look up towards the sky as I was listening to that song, I did not see the Lord coming back in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I didn't see him regathering uh, the children of Israel, into the land supernaturally. I didn't see him throwing off the nations that had come against Israel. And I did not see him taking the throne in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem in fulfillment of the Davidic promise of 2 Samuel 7.16. You see, Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. And the, the, the verse that we all know so well, this is the day the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it, refers to the coming of Christ to establish the kingdom. And so much of Bible study today comes down to just observing the context and understanding words in the sentence. And in this case, we have a pronoun, the pronoun this. And if you know anything about pronouns in English, it works the same way in every other language. Pronouns have to have an antecedent. And what is the antecedent of this is the day? The text does not say today is the day. The text says this is the day, and the day that this is referring to is the time of the coming of Christ that uh, happened in two phases, once when he was rejected and once in the future when he will come back and uh, the entire nation will receive him. Jesus himself quotes this psalm in Matthew 23 when he says to the Jewish leaders representing the first century uh, unbelieving nation of Israel, you will not see me again until you cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who come in the name of the Lord. In fact, he actually says, you will not see me again until you cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, leaving off the first two phrases there, Hosanna, Hosanna. And one of the reasons that it discourages me a bit when we so uh, flippantly sing this song and quote this verse without really understanding its true meaning is that we miss out on a vital truth of Scripture from Psalm 118. 
It's not so much that we're promoting some type of incorrect belief. It certainly is true that every day is made by the Lord, and every day is a day that we should rejoice. And yes, today is the Lord's day. It's a day that belongs to Him, and we ought to live our lives to serve Him faithfully. But when we quote this verse out of context, we are missing out on a powerful truth of Scripture that this passage originally, when the quill hit the sheepskin under the inspiration of the Spirit, when this anonymous hymn writer penned these words, when God revealed Himself to us and specifically what He wanted us to understand here in this passage, uh, when we quote it out of context, we're missing out on that truth, and we're missing out on the wonderful truth that God is promising to come back again. Psalm 118 uh, is part of the Hallel Psalms. The word Hallel in Hebrew is means praise. It's where we get the English word Hallelujah, and uh, it was uh, part of a, a larger section, Psalms 113 to Psalm 118. Later, the Talmud, which is sort of a commentary on the Jewish law, uh, would call this the Hallel of Egypt. And in Jewish tradition, these psalms uh, were sung uh, in celebration of uh, the children of Israel being uh, released from Egypt. And they sort of retold the story of God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And so uh, it's an interesting, when you look at the context, it's interesting what he's saying. Let me pick it up two verses earlier in Psalm 118. We all know verse 24 very well. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. But what's going on in the context? Verse 22 begins, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Just think about that for a moment. The stone that the builders rejected being, you know, rejected, you know, and and now is becoming a chief cornerstone. And God's word says this is a marvelous, marvelous thing. Now, if you go to Matthew 21, you find that this is exactly what we read uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 21. We see this quotation in verse 42 when Jesus says these words, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Now, what's the context of Matthew 21? Jesus has just rode in to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. A splattering of uh, people lined the streets and, and cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and Jesus, uh, knowing their hearts, basically points out that they're making the same mistake that many do today. Many people are absentmindedly singing that song, This is the Day the Lord Has Made. Without even realizing it, they're quoting a verse out of context. And that was what was happening in the first century. And Jesus knew, nope, not so fast, because the nation is going to reject me very shortly. And, uh, but someday, that rejected stone would become indeed the chief cornerstone of a worldwide kingdom. See, in Psalm 118, what we have is a reference to Jesus that uh, is you know, sort of compared to a stone, and, and these builders which represent his adversaries, that later in the first century we'd, we would see this as representing the Jewish leaders. 
You remember Psalm 118 is written about a thousand years before Christ. And he's referring to those future national leaders who were jealous of Christ and uh, actually betrayed and crucified him uh, as these builders. And uh, it's a common imagery, by the way, you know, uh, whenever builders construct a stone building uh, back in the ancient era, they would discard many stones because they didn't fit. They, they, they weren't right. And Jesus essentially becomes like one of these discarded stones. But God will restore him to usefulness and give him a position of prominence in God's work. And obviously, this is going to happen when Christ comes back and takes the throne. So it will indeed be a wonderful day and a day to rejoice. And it will be the Lord's doing. Only the Lord can take and turn a a uh, rejection into an acceptance. Only the Lord can take a gruesome crucifixion and build out of it a grand uh, coronation. And that's exactly what we see happening. So I want to take you back in your mind's eye to the roadside that day, and I want to give you three perspectives. And I want to encourage you to adopt the third one. But we see a couple of wrong perspectives as we think about the passage Uh, in Matthew 21 and Psalm 118 in context. As Jesus rode past on the back of a donkey and people were crying out to him, we see first the blind perspective. The blind perspective. Remember, uh, Psalm 118 verse 22 says, The stone which the builders rejected. The stone which the builders rejected. Man, can you imagine the greatest stone ever being rejected? Boy, they miscalculated uh, that one, didn't they? And if you go back to uh, the actual account of the triumphal entry, we read in verse 10, Matthew 21, when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? I mean, here he was riding on the back of a donkey in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, and yet they were still blinded to who he was. The multitudes, though, said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I mean, any Jew would have known that Psalm 118, part of the Hallel Psalms, was a reference to the the coming day when God would ultimately deliver them, not just from the hands of the Egyptians, not just from the hands of uh, later the Assyrians and Babylonians, but the revived Roman Empire someday at the end of the age when he throws off the shackles of the Antichrist and the false prophet and finally ushers in that global government in perfect peace and righteousness, as Isaiah the prophet talked about in Isaiah 9, when the government of the whole world is upon his shoulders and and he is the prince of peace. When the lion lays down with the lamb, when the baby plays by the cobra's pit, when it's a time of unprecedented peace and righteousness and justice, and he's ruling with a rod of iron, as described in Revelation 19, 11 to 16. They knew what that verse meant. They knew what Psalm 118 was all about. And they had even cried out the words to that psalm. We see this in Matthew 21, verse 9. And yet, as he gets on into the city... Many were there who said, who is this? They were blinded. I think today many people are blinded, of course, to who Christ is because 2 Corinthians 4 4 tells us that Satan is blinding men's hearts to the gospel. He doesn't want people to see Christ for who he is. And that's the reason, by the way, that Christ is the essence of the gospel. No Jesus, no gospel. 
Any gospel that purports to be sharing with people how to be saved and doesn't mention the name of Jesus is not, a, is not good news at all. It's misinformation and disinformation. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. And so there was this blind reaction. Who is this? They said, what's all the fuss? Who is this? And that's just fulfillment of Psalm 118, verse 22, when they rejected him. But then we also see a bitter perspective, a bitter perspective. If you look back in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 15, the story goes on. It says in verse 15, When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. They were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, I do. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? So again, the, the, the Jewish scribes and leaders and Pharisees, they knew what Hosanna meant. They knew what Psalm 118 was all about. And it bothered them. They were bitterly angry. They were indignant, the text says. And, and, and so that's another response. And I think many people have that response today. Most are just naive and blinded and, and ignorant, but many are indignant and they, they react. See, Jesus Christ comes to bring a sword. He, he is the Prince of Peace, uh, but uh, there's no middle ground with Christ. Jesus isn't just uh, sort of one choice among many on a multiple choice test that will get you into heaven someday. He's an exclusive means of getting into heaven. And God is a jealous God. And, and someone cannot come to Christ and say, well, I could choose Allah, I could choose Buddha, I could choose some other religion, but I'm going to choose Jesus Christ. And, uh, and Jesus Christ says, oh, I'm so glad you chose me. No, he says, it's faith alone in Christ alone. There's no middle ground. So the blind perspective is really ultimately just as bad as the bitter perspective. Those who are angry at Christ because they don't uh, accept him for who he is. But then we see a third perspective, thankfully, and the psalmist talks about this in the rest of this little section, Psalm 118, verses 22, the last half of the verse, all the way through uh, verse 24, and that is the blessed perspective, the blessed perspective. Remember, the stone that was rejected, it says, has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And the blessed perspective understands that the arrival of the king means redemption, redemption from sin. He's become the chief cornerstone. He's the one who would shed his blood in a matter of days in that first century Passion Week, and that blood would satisfy the wrath of Almighty God. First John 2, 2 says, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. You see, sin demands payment. It demanded payment in the garden. That's why the animals were slaughtered, to provide clothing for Adam and Eve after they sinned. And it has always been through blood atonement 
that sin is paid for. And Jesus Christ, yes, rode into Jerusalem uh, to inaugurate the kingdom. And yes, there was a delay in that kingdom, but there had to be because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the only perfect man, the God-man, the one who lived a perfect, holy, sinless life and yet is without sin. So he could then take the sin of the whole world upon him because he had room on his shoulders to pay for the sins of others. No one else could. I couldn't pay for your sins, nor could you pay for mine, because we have our own sins that are weighing us down. But Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, paid the, the price for the sin of the whole world and purchased redemption for us. And the arrival of the king means redemption from sin, and it means the realization of hope. This is the day. It's finally here. We've been hoping for it and longing for it, and this is the day. That's why the later uh, in, the, in the New Testament we read uh, places like where Jesus says, Look up, be watchful, for your redemption is drawing nigh. And someday in the tribulation there's going to be a, a generation of Jews who will get it, those that are left behind at the rapture but later are evangelized by the 144,000 witnesses that are supernaturally set apart by God. And, and they get the message. They understand the gospel. They receive Christ. And then as the tribulation nears an end, they're going to look up and see the sign of the coming of the Son of Man in the heavens. And they're going to, uh, they're going to recognize that, that this hope that they've had for centuries is now coming to realization. You see, the rival of the king means the, the reaffirmation of a promise, the realization of a hope. That's what this is the day the Lord has made is all about. It's true. Today is the Lord's day. Today is a day that God made, and, and, and every day is special, and every day is an opportunity for us to serve Him. But don't miss the rich richness and teaching of Psalm 118 that there is going to come a day sometime when Jesus Christ comes back not to be rejected and hung on a cross, but to be coronated and seated on the throne and rule the world. And the Bible teaches that if you know the Lord today, if you're part of the church, the bride of Christ, you'll be coming back with him because we're going to be rescued someday at the rapture before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And we'll be riding with him on white horses when he comes back to usher in the kingdom. But only if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation. If you'd like more information about the gospel, give us a call here at Not By Works. Our number is 1-800-895-1851. That number again, 1-800-895-1851. We'd love to talk with you more about the good news of salvation. I invite you to join me again next time as we look to the Word of God to strengthen our faith and change our lives. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raise this life up from the dead. Not By Works Ministries is committed to promoting the clear gospel message that eternal life is a free gift, available only through faith in Jesus Christ alone, who died and rose again for our sins. We seek to advance this clear message of God's amazing grace through our daily radio program and through a nationwide conference speaking ministry on a variety of biblical topics. We also have books, DVDs, CDs, and other biblical resources available through our online store at notbyworks.org. To learn more about our ministry or to schedule a Not By Works conference, please visit notbyworks.org. 
If you share our passion for the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel, we invite you to join us in this mission by financially supporting our ministry. For a gift of any amount, we would like to send you a copy of Dr. Hickson's book, The Gospel Unplugged, Good News, Plain and Simple. You may donate online at notbyworks.org or by calling 1-800-895-1851. That's 1-800-895-1851. Thanks for listening today. And remember Titus 3.5. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow.